0: Welcome to the EFC Podcast. Welcome to the EFC Podcast. Uh, Today I'm speaking with Janet Buckingham, who directs Trinity Western University's Laurentian Leadership Center in Ottawa and is the author of Fighting Over God A Legal and Political History of Religious Freedom in Canada. Janet is also a lawyer who helped develop the proposal for a law school at Trinity Western University, which of course is a case that is before the Supreme Court of Canada right now. And uh, recently, Trinity Western spent two days in court at the Supreme Court, uh, putting forward their argument that they should be allowed to have a law school in Canada that is recognized. So... Uh, Janet attended those hearings, and we wanted to speak with her about uh, her perspective on that. So welcome, Janet. Thank you. Can you, uh, for those of us who weren't able to attend the Supreme Court case, just walk us through what happened for those two days?
1: Well, uh, one thing that you didn't mention in your introduction is that I also was one of the, the two Professors at Trinity that was responsible for developing the proposal for the law school. So, as I was sitting through the court hearings, it also really personally affects me because, uh, you know. As with any project that one develops, uh, I do be- definitely feel like this is my baby, mm-hmm. and so it, it really, um, you know, some of the times that were very challenging in court uh, were, were very challenging for me personally as well, uh, but I, I'm not going to bring my own emotions into it <laughs> too much. I think uh, we should really be talking about the broader implications for the Christian community so day one was uh, focused on Trinity Western University and the Law Societies of Ontario and British Columbia. There are two separate cases going on, and this was this made for some kind of complicated procedural things going on at the Supreme Court because. Um, In Ontario, with the Law Society, it's now the Law Society of Ontario, at the time all of this happened, it was called the Law Society of Upper Canada. It just changed its name a month ago, so we're all trying to get used to the new name, so I apologize if I go back and forth between the two. Um, In Ontario, we had actually lost the case, and so the Law Society of Ontario was appealing, sorry, we were appealing the case that we had lost with the Law Society of Ontario. In British Columbia, it's the opposite. Um, Trinity Western won the case very strongly in British Columbia, so the Law Society of British Columbia was appealing that. Okay. So you very rarely end up with uh, the same litigant, Trinity Western University, with one one case and lost the other case. So what that meant was on... Thursday, the first day of the hearing, Trinity Western University lawyers started and ended the day, and in between we had the Law Society of Ontario and the Law Society of British Columbia. So our legal team was really focused on giving the judges uh, our argument about why we should be able to start a law school, Trinity Western University has 55 years of history in British Columbia as a university. We already have professional programs in nursing and education and, and business, and this is another professional program that we're looking to start. Um, the Law Society of Ontario had a very interesting argument. They argued that they before Confederation, they were it in Ontario. They started the first law school. The Law Society itself started Osgoode Hall Law School, which now is part of York University. And that happened in 1965. Um, And the province of Ontario said, actually, all law schools should be part of universities. And so legal education should be delivered by universities rather than the law school. But the Law Society of Ontario argued that it retains this right to educate lawyers, and it delegates it to law schools across the country, not just Ontario, but everywhere. When he was making this argument, I was thinking, I'm not sure that law deans across the country would really accept this big role, but, you know, his, his argument was really because we have this big role, we get to, you know, have control. Um, in places where otherwise we wouldn't see that. Ultimately, though, um, he said that the Law Society of Ontario would accommodate graduates of Trinity Western Law School and they would create some kind of individualized process so that they could still become lawyers in Ontario. So he was really making a really narrow kind of argument saying, oh, well, you know, we don't want to accredit the law school at Trinity Western, but will still accept their students, Okay. so then he sat down, then the Law Society for British Columbia stood up and said, actually I'm going to argue completely differently that Ontario, um, if we do not, if we the Law Society of BC do not approve this law school, they can't operate.
0: Oh, their okay.
1: graduates will never be able to practice law in yeah. our province, no yeah. matter what. Yeah. And so he basically was saying, you know, they were arguing totally at cross purposes. Ontario was saying, "Oh well, you know, don't worry, this is just really a little minor thing." Yeah, almost a little. British Columbia stands up and says, "Absolutely not. If we don't approve this law school, is not happening." End of story.
0: Wow. So what? How did the uh, how did the court respond to these kind of contrasting approaches?
1: I think they were kind of surprised by the law society of British Columbia's argument um, and where they were saying, no, it's yes or no. It's a green light to this law school and it will be fully accredited like any other law school or it doesn't start at all. Or not. Yeah. That, um, that was really a completely different situation. Mm -hmm. And really, um, I think, puts the issues much, much more starkly before the court. Um, The Law Society of British Columbia also wants the Supreme Court of Canada to make a decision that will apply across the country. They're like, okay, you are now the approval body. You either say yes or no to this project. There's not going to be any middle ground, you know, green light, red light. Mm -hmm. There's no yellow light here.
0: And then that's it.
1: That's it, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. So, two, a couple of really big issues that the court seemed to be wrestling with, and I will say, the judges were extremely active, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes aggressive, and I, I haven't really seen... Judges are usually quite calm and deferential, but the judges got really quite engaged in this and were asking very challenging questions. And the big issues they seem to be wrestling with are uh, first, are lawyers different than teachers? Mm-hmm. So Trinity Western has a previous decision from 2001 from the Supreme Court of Canada approving our School of Education. So uh, if lawyers are the same as teachers, then the Supreme Court of Canada should uphold its previous decision and grant approval to the law school. But some of the judges really seemed quite convinced that lawyers are different because they are applying the law. So you can't have a law school that um, in its sort of foundational principles um, has some policies that have a discriminatory impact because that's contrary to Canadian law. Now Trinity Western's arguing Everything we're doing is legal. We are not violating the law in any way, shape, or form. Um, so we therefore should be accredited. And they're, they're kind of like, well, but you lawyers are held to a higher standard because lawyers apply the law in Canadian society. And so different rules apply for a law school than apply for a school of education. Okay. So that was their first big issue. Mm-hmm. And the second big issue is they kept asking... You know, we're, we're, we're balancing rights here of the LGBTQ plus community and, you know, rights for faith-based communities. So they kept asking, what exactly is it that's on the scale? What are the rights that are being balanced? Well, on the one hand, you have Trinity Western University under the charter. There's religious freedom. There's equality on the basis of religion under Section 15. That's what's on one side, one side of the scale. What exactly are the LGBTQ plus rights that are on the other side of the table? Mm-hmm. That's actually a little bit murky in yeah. this case. And I don't think that the judge has got a really clear answer on that because, because Trinity Western is operating legally and is not violating the charter or human rights legislation because neither what applies to it. It becomes less clear as to what those rights are. Okay. Um, so the the judges kept asking that question, and I don't think they got an answer.
0: And the rights not applying, uh, or the the charter rights not applying to Trinity Western. Can you explain that more?
1: Under the the charter applies to government. Okay. And it restricts government from violating rights. It. Several universities, like public universities, have successfully argued that universities are private institutions, they are not government, so they are not subject to the charter. Universities are not required to give their students freedom of expression, freedom of religion, they are private institutions, so they're not, the charter does not apply to universities. Treaty Western is not a public university, it is not publicly funded, and so, even more so, it is not required to give charter rights to its students.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, Under the BC Human Rights Code, um, Trinity Western is, uh, fits in an exemption from the application of the Human Rights Code that applies to religious and philanthropic institutions, Mm -hmm. and that exemption is granted so that religious institutions can hire people of their same faith, or, you know, the Greek cultural center can hire Greek people to run the the Greek cultural center. So um, Trinity Western fits within that exemption, and actually most human rights codes across the country have that kind of exemption for that reason so that religious and charitable organizations can hire people and apply their own standards for institutions that are, you know, meeting the need, like, you know, churches and, sure. and Christian institutions that are primarily there to serve religious communities.
0: Yeah. Now, um, a lawyer or an intervener for the Canadian Bar Association brought up this idea of colliding rights. And said that basically we're, she said we're at a threshold that we can't back away from in terms of, I guess, balancing or or it felt like obviously she was getting at the rights of the LGBTQ plus population overriding those religious freedom rights. Um, Can you help us understand this idea of a threshold that we can't turn back from? Is that true?
1: Well, I think this case is seen to be really uh, a, a huge case where this is going to be decided. So actually, as we were going into day two, and day two of the case was uh, the 26 intervener groups that each had five minutes to make their arguments, and I was Reflecting on how many of the groups, many of the religious groups that were there were the same groups that appeared before the Supreme Court of Canada back in 2004 in the same-sex marriage reference. Okay. And back in 2004, all those groups stood up before the Supreme Court and argued, if you change the definition of marriage, we religious communities are going to face discrimination and marginalization because we will be out of step with the rest of society. And interestingly, at the time, the Supreme Court of Canada responded saying that these were hypothetical uh, collisions of rights and uh, their particular statement is religious freedom is broad and jealously guarded in Canadian law. And they invited Religious communities, you know, if these conflicts that you're saying are going to occur, if they actually occur, then you come back to the courts and we will decide in the particular situation as to how the rights should be balanced. That was sort of their basic point. So I was kind of like, okay, that decision was made in 2005 and the definition of marriage was changed in 2005. And in fact, in the, in the Civil Marriage Act, the legislation that changed the definition of marriage, there's also a, a clause about um, religious institutions should not be facing discrimination or, or withdrawal of any kind of government benefits on the basis of their views on marriage. So back in 2005, religious communities felt that there was this balance struck between mm religious communities that are free to maintain religious definitions of marriage in their communities, and the civil government-sanctioned marriage that is going to be including same-sex couples. And so here we are a dozen years later, and this is where the rubber meets the road. Is the Supreme Court of Canada going to strike that balance, giving religious communities a measure of freedom to continue to define marriage for their own communities as being between a man and a woman without being penalized or marginalized Mm -hmm. in any way. Are religious communities going to be able to maintain full citizenship in Canada while maintaining their traditional religious definitions of marriage? Yeah. And that's really, this is the case where that is going to be decided.
0: Wow. Well, so after being in court for those two days, and I'm, I'm sure you don't want to speculate too much, but what? how do you think it went? What What do you think we'll hear in, I guess they're thinking, the summer?
1: Well, the decision needs to be made um, by June next okay. year because the Chief Justice is retiring in December. She mm. has a six-month window to sign off on decisions. So, we know that we'll get a decision by the end of June. Uh, when that will come out, before that, uh, we don't know. Mm-hmm. I, it, this is a complicated decision, so I don't anticipate it will come out much earlier than that. Yeah. So it's very difficult to get a read on the judges. There were two judges that were questioning very aggressively that seemed quite strongly in favor of equality rights for LGBTQ+. Um, there were other judges that were making it very clear that they understood the nature of religious communities and why you would have things like a community covenant to set up community standards and what it means to have community accountability for the moral standards within the community. So there, there are clearly people that are... On judges that that are uh, appeared, and that, that's why most people are saying there's going to be a split decision because okay. it appeared that well, these judges really seem to understand well this side of the argument, and these judges clearly seem to put themselves in that side of the argument. Mm-hmm. Um so it's just a question of how many judges are going to be on which side. Okay. Back in two thousand and one there were nine justices that made that were part of the decision making process. Eight were in favor of Trinity Western University and one was against. So I mean that was a split decision, but it was fairly strongly tilted in favor of Trinity Western. Mm-hmm. I think that I think the decision's gonna be much closer this time. Um they're going to be more judges on both sides um, and I think it's highly unlikely that it's going to be a unanimous decision.
0: Okay and when they, uh, with the interveners, what weight do the judges give those arguments?
1: Well I think that the interveners were very important to put the context in. So it's one thing to talk about this little Christian university out in British Columbia. Mm -hmm. It's quite something else when you have the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops saying this is going to have an impact on all of Catholic education in Canada. Now that is everything from Catholic separate schools, Catholic private schools, Catholic colleges attached to universities, Catholic seminaries, because Catholics, as you know, do not make their own theology. That is decided by the Pope. And so they, they don't, while it may be argued, while you Evangelical Christians have the the ability within your communities to change the definition of marriage, Roman Catholics do not. Under any circumstances, that is a decision that is made in Rome. And so they're very concerned, last, uh, they have probably more educational institutions in Canada than anyone else. So I think the context of the fact this is going to affect a lot of different religions and different religious educational institutions was very, very important. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was good to have that kind of context. It was also helpful to see those who would be in favor of LGBTQ plus rights as to um, where they think this Will go, And certainly the issue of charitable status for religious institutions was raised by one of those and said, yes, it may well be that charitable status will be revoked yeah. for institutions that don't accept same-sex marriage. And that, that kind of implication, I think, was very important to bring in because mm-hmm. that is what's at the end of the road for this if you keep following the argument that in, those interveners were making.
0: Okay. And so could we end up in a situation where some some church denominations retain their charitable status and others don't? Or would it be churches would just all lose that privilege?
1: It's hard to know where that will go, because that is something that was specifically listed in the Civil Marriage Act was protection for Charitable status, so it would really require a legislative change Hmm. um, In uh, in Parliament, and I think that would be hugely hugely controversial. Yeah, so I That's part of a a broader discussion um, And obviously I I don't think that will be imposed by courts I think that would be something that would be a political decision and it would certainly be a hot potato.
0: Yeah, yeah now just as we wind up, Janet, now at this moment in Canada, it just seems like there's—or you know—correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like there are a lot of cases. It seems like this discussion is happening all over the place about the place of religion in Canadian uh, religion in Canadian life. Um, why do you think that's happening right now so much?
1: That is a very good question. I labeled November of 2017 as Religious Freedom Month. <laughs> We started the month with the Governor General making a a speech where she seemed to be uh, denigrating people of religious beliefs, and we finished with the Trinity Western case, and in between were two other cases at the Supreme Court of Canada dealing with religious freedom and two parliamentary committee hearings Mm. dealing with religious issues. And I think it's actually quite healthy for our society to be dealing with these issues. Really, uh, as, a, as a piece to, to sort of recognize, there are many issues of uh, religion and public life in Canada, you know, from, uh, from the Attorney General, sorry, from the Governor General to, to charitable status. And I think we need to, as a society, really understand the value and importance of religion It has been an opportunity for religious organizations to put forward our vision of society, our vision of true pluralism. Um, It's interesting, one of the really great uh, quotes from the BC Court of Appeal in the Trinity Western case, I think is really um, indicative of where the faith communities stand on this. They said, A society that does not admit of and accommodate differences cannot be a free and democratic society, one in which its citizens are free to think, to disagree, to debate, and to challenge the accepted view without fear of reprisal. Mm -hmm. This case demonstrates that a well-intentioned majority acting in the name of tolerance and liberalism can, if unchecked, Impose its views on the minority in a manner that is in itself Intolerant and illiberal and I think this this month of religious freedom issues has really given an opportunity For our society to have the discussion and debate that I think is actually healthy for our society
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean it's it is a good a good thing to have these things be discussed and uh It's exciting in a way to see religion be on the radar of this uh, public discussion, but uh, the implications are obviously pretty high. Um, We'd love to revisit this with you when the decision comes down, Janet, and uh, have you help us work through that. So uh, we'll wait and see and um, hopefully hear from you again then. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Janet. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.